BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Maryland. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code OLDLINE150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Maryland today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Maryland only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days from issuance. Please play responsibly. For help, visit mdgamblinghelp.org or call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM National Harbor. Promotional not available in Washington, D.C. This is the story of America's bloodiest prison, told by the people who lived it, both inside and outside its gates. The brutal history as you've never heard it before, from its origin as a slave plantation to its gradual growth as the bloodiest maximum security prison in America. To those outside its gates, it's known as Louisiana State Penitentiary at Angola. But to those who have spent time inside its gates, it's known as Bloody Angola. Come with us as we take you through the gates and give you a first-hand look at not only the stories of the stabbings, rapes, executions, escapes, and murders you won't find on any TV show or the internet, but also the murders, abductions, attacks, and hostage situations of the staff and their families, otherwise known by the convicts as free people. Bloody Angola is a comprehensive, no-hold-barred podcast that takes you on a journey through time from its inception as a slave plantation to America's largest maximum security prison, where 80% of its population will die inside the wire. Get mentally prepared. Sit back and listen as we cover these stories in detail in ways that you've never heard before from people that lived it, breathed it, and died with it. Bloody Angola. Warning, Bloody Angola is a podcast covering actual events 
and is intended for mature audiences. The subject matter discussed in no way reflects the personal opinions of the host or sponsors of this podcast. Thank you. And welcome to another edition of Bloody Angola, a podcast 142 years in the making. The story of America's bloodiest prison. And, and I'm, I'm Woody. I'm Woody Overton. And I'm Jim Chapman. <laughs> and, and Chase team members, we love you. Yes, and we're not cutting that stuff out just for That's you. Right. We leave it raw right. and uncut for our Chase team. Love you so much. Once again, we, uh, we're we sorry we had to do uh, you know this in two parts, but there was absolutely no way we could have done it in one part and really done justice to these people. Especially because we get rolling. Uh, besides the history, that everything Jim put together, when we get, get – to tell our personal perspectives and and everything, it's just just the way it had to be. And I think you'll you'll appreciate it when we get done today. But thank you so much for being Chase team members. Um, you absolutely help the show every day, and we, we love y'all and appreciate you. This is part two of Sean Vincent Gillis Uncut. The last victim he had that Woody covered in great detail on our on our last episode was Joyce Williams. She was killed on November not, uh, November twelfth of nineteen ninety nine, and then next up in those murders was Miss Lillian Robinson. She and, and y'all remember this? We're telling you the progression. We told you from the time of his childhood to his first crime or his first murder, and how he progressed. How he now he's using zip ties. He's dumped the bodies in all these different parishes, making it harder on law enforcement. Um, there's another serial killer, which nobody knew. It was two people at the time. He's dumping bodies in a certain area, and he just dumped Joyce Williams there. Yes, and important to note that uh, although law enforcement did not realize there were two serial killers, they definitely knew they were dealing with a serial killer. Right. The entire Baton Rouge area, and I remember the all world. this distinctly. Yeah, the yeah. world was it, watching. It was on world. It was on on the. Um, every time a new body was found, it, the national news had picked it up. And I was a cop at the time, and my mom. Every every woman in Baton Rouge or the surrounding areas was was scared. You couldn't get an attack dog. You couldn't get a, a can of Freeze Plus P. Great the point. Self-defense classes were through the roof. Uh, I even had to go buy my mom a, a new pistol and train her on how to use it. And my sister that lived in Baton Rouge also. It was a big deal. The murders just kept piling up. Now, Joyce Williams was last seen November 12th of 1999. The next victim for Sean Vincent Gillis was Lillian Robinson. Let me tell you about her. She disappeared in January of 2000. So the first point we want to bring up is he was going six months between killings prior to that. And and back to Joyce Williams, she was killed on November 12th, but her body wasn't found until January 22nd of 2000. The next one he's telling you about disappeared in disappeared January, in January of 2000. 2000. Gillis's killing sprees were getting shorter and shorter. Instead of waiting six months like he did between Catherine Ann Hall and Hardy Schmidt, he waited only two months between Joyce Williams and Lillian Robinson. He waited five years between the first and the second, and he went quicker. Boom, boom. And now and it's it, even quicker. Yeah. And now he's graduated and in his own words, to cannibalism. And he's a full-fledged serial killer at this yeah. point. He can't get enough. Right. He cannot get enough. It can't. He can't wait six months anymore. Right. The first 
for just killing is overwhelming him. Lillian Robinson disappears in January of 2000. She was 52 years old when Gillis picked her up in North Baton Rouge. She was a prostitute. He killed her with a nylon zip tie and then brought her to his home. Second one he's brought to his home. When he was finished with her, he chopped her up, did all these things. He drove her to the Atchafalaya Basin and dumped her in the swampy water the second serial killer to do that, although they didn't know that right. at the time. She was found in March 2000, get this, y'all, nine miles from where he said he dumped her. The current right. carried her nine right. miles. That's a, a very real deal. Now, he's smart again, y'all. He's dumping them further away, but not only that, these other bodies were popping up in the Chaffly Basin females raped and murdered so he knows he can play off this i I can whoever hey whoever the hell else is doing the killing i'm gonna use this right and because they're not on my scent and they put out this profile and everything on on this other serial killer they were looking for and he knew it didn't fit him at all but he's smart enough i'm a dumper that why you dump them in water because it washes away all the evidence and you hoping that the catfish and the crawfish and the, uh, everything else eats the body up so there's nothing left. Just a situation now where another body was found in March, even though it was several months after she had disappeared. Another body was found this time in the Chafala spillway. And, and back to what you said, it's the second one he took to his home after he zip-tied her. And now zip-tied his thing, right? Yeah. But why do you take him to your home? Because you can spend a little Vincent Gillis love time. That's that was right. His, that was his love time. And the cannibalism, cutting him up. Y'all, think about that. He's so. he's getting sicker as well yeah. as as time goes on. It just continues to get worse and worse for Gillis. Yeah. And he's definitely graduating in every way that the evil can be so let's go to the next one and again our hearts go out to all these victims y'all and we're not sensationalizing anything these are most of it is from his confessions marilyn nevels was 38 years old in october of 2000 when gillis picked her up in lafayette Y'all, Lafayette, Louisiana is about about an hour west of Baton Rouge, okay? But he was on his way to visit his godchild, and when she got into his car, she was a prostitute. And again, y'all, why is he picking on prostitutes? Two reasons. One, high-risk victims probably doesn't garner as much attention. But two, that's the only person he could talk to, right? His social skills were not up there. Remember, Jim told you in high school, he's like a wallflower that disappeared into the crowd. He didn't have the gift of gab, but he was smart enough to know, get a prostitute because they'll get in the car. So when he gets her in the car, he reached for a zip tie. But Marilyn, Marilyn was 38. She was street smart, right? So she knows something that when he's reaching, maybe she saw the, the zip tie, I don't know. But she followed him, and she escaped from the car. And he chased her across a field on 6th Street and hit her with a piece of metal rebar. He then pulled the zip tie tight around her neck. 
puts her in his car. He brings her to a car wash and laid her on the ground while he cleaned his vehicle before bringing her to his home. Did that before, didn't he? Absolutely. And he's washing away any evidence that he doesn't want his girlfriend to smell the dead body in the car or see any blood or anything like that. I don't know if he wrapped him in bags or whatever brought. Brings her home. And what does he do, y'all? I told you he gets some Gillis love time in his own mind. He takes a shower with her body. I'm sure he did a lot of other disgusting things before bringing her to River Road and leaving her body on top of a levee. But no one had reported Marilyn Neville's missing. That's sad. It goes back to the high-risk lifestyle, and, and a lot of them don't have people that care about them. Uh, and I've worked cases like this where the only way we were able to identify uh, the victim she was a prostitute was by a butterfly ankle on her tattoo, and she wasn't even from the area. They had put that on the news. Uh, uh, her sister was like, holy shit, my sister has that, but she hadn't seen her in X amount of time because she was, you know, going crack binges and stuff like that. Bringing her home and showering with her. He's getting sicker. Right. I mean, come on. He's living out every fantasy he's got. He's getting cocky and arrogant. One thing that I'm noticing with, with this guy as he progresses he killed Hardy Schmidt, and the world went apeshit because she was very well-known. She was affluent. She had tons of friends, and he said, fuck that. I'm not doing that again. Smart. Too much, too much heat when I kill people that, ha- that are affluent and then have influence. So he, he, if you notice, all of his victims since Hardy Schmidt were prostitutes. So he had enough common sense, although I, I, I hate giving this son of a bitch credit for anything. Right. He had enough common sense to figure out, I probably don't want to kill someone who actually has friends anymore. Right. So he goes to these prostitutes. And on this, on Marilyn's case, he was smart because he got her like Lafayette is like parishes and parishes away and over an hour away, but he brings her home and he figures it's safe enough to dump her on, on the, on just a layer on the levee because he knew she wasn't from the area. This guy was so ballsy now that he's driving around with the bodies in his car during a time in which serial killer is out and be on the alert is everywhere. Cops are looking everywhere. Absolutely. Almost as important how ballsy he is. This is his second victim he laid on the ground at a fucking car wash and washed her off. Again, public. You got to take in, in pure public. public. You got to take her out, lay her on the ground, get your. Maybe he had to walk around to the dollar bill machine, the ring, get your coins out. You got to put it in there and go deep, deep, deep. Turn it to wash. Get the wand out. Wash her off. Clean your car out. Put her back in. Take her home. I, I can assure you, taking a shower with, with her is the least of what he did with her dead body. And Marilyn Neville's, uh, you know, it, it just I don't care what kind of lifestyle you live, what all of that. Uh, no one reported her missing made me absolutely depressed. Yeah, yeah. I just think that's, you know, she was loved somewhere. It's um, unfortunate is how it happens. Uh, I know a whole lot of the time, you know. Takes a shower with her. What do you ever do? Yeah. I know. Jesus Christ, what kind of man do you have to be? Yeah. What kind of sick individual are you 
that now you're taking showers with bodies. So well, let's just just discuss eat, and eating them and everything else. Evil, evil, the devil at his worst. Yeah. Let's talk about Johnny May Williams. Johnny May Williams and Sean Gillis, y'all, were actually friends. They occasionally smoke weed together, and Johnny May sometimes cleaned uh, Sean Vincent Gillis's house. She was also a prostitute, which he knew, and had known her over 10 years. Gillis one night picked her up in North Baton Rouge on October 9th, 2003. She was drunker than drunk. And he talked about this in a confession in detail. Uh, She was very drunk. He drove her to a secluded area behind Mason's Grill in Baton Rouge, where he raped and beat her and then strangled her to death with a zip tie before slashing her body and cutting off her hands. He then drove her to Pride, Port Hudson Road in Zachary, where he positioned her body in a wooded area before he left he took pictures of her in provocative poses. Oh, wow. Yeah, um, <sighs> now, that, that, this is so much I want to say on this one. Do it. Um, so he knew her. I mean, over 10 years. Having sex with her for over 10 years and come clean my house and you know, clean my pipes or whatever. And then, <laughs> uh, he knew her for however long. And uh, I'm sure Johnny May Williams just thought, it's going to be a, another 40 bucks for her or whatever, right? And picks her up. Uh, of course, she was drunk. Takes her behind Mason's Grill, which just is a side note, but they probably have the best Bloody Mary in Baton Rouge. And yeah. She didn't say that in this story, but then he rapes her, beat her, and again, zip ties her before slashing her body and cutting off her hands. I... I did it for a lot of years, Jim Chapman. I do not ever remember a crime where somebody cut off someone's hands. I don't know if you cut off the hands to try to dissuade the fingerprinting or the identification, or you took them off. Um, Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Maryland. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code OLDLINE150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Maryland today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Maryland only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days from issuance. Please play responsibly. For help, visit mdgamblinghelp.org or call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM National Harbor. Promotional not available in Washington, D.C and used him on himself later on. We know he had an, an affection for not only cannibalism, but for cutting people up. But the Pride Port Hudson Road, y'all, um, that is 
pretty close to where I was born and raised. And it's, it's rural. Pride Port Hudson Road is very rural. And, but he doesn't just throw her out in the bushes. He positions her. Now I've seen this a lot, but he positioned her body in a wooded, wooded area and taking pictures and provocative poses. I would assume that's her legs in the air, um, doing, you know, degrading her that's in his mind he's degrading her even further but at this point now when i talked to you about the profiles on serial killers almost as important at, at some point in their career when they're graduating like he is serial killer career is for them to do the killing and the, and the rapes is to either take mementos or pictures or something that they can use later on why because he uses it or the fantasy on the days it might be raining, he can't find a prostitute. Uh, you better believe this fucker. Now you see him getting closer and closer together, but you better believe he was out there hunting every day. You know, sometimes maybe he had to go to work and and who went to Spank Bank and pulled out Johnny May Williams pictures or whatever he had left over from another one, and just absolutely not a human being in my brain getting crazier and crazier by the second. You know, when Woody Overton talks about um, that evil exists and then he's seen the face of evil, this is the face of evil, folks. It it doesn't get any more evil than this guy, I'm telling you. And it even gets worse with the next one. And and, and I still, to this day, and I'm so glad you did this because – Sean Vincent Gillis does not get the credit for being the evil monster he was. You hear about everybody else. You hardly ever hear about Sean Vincent Gillis. Right. So the next one, y'all, Donna Bennett Johnston. Was Gillis' eighth and final victim? at least that he admitted to. And her body was discovered on February 26, 2004, in a ravine off of Ben-Hur Road, just blocks from his home. He picked her up on the corner of Geronimo and Prescott in North Baton Rouge. Y'all, that's a real rough neighborhood. And she also was a prostitute. And he brought her to a secluded spot near Scenic Highway, which is also a rough area in, in North Baton Rouge, where he again put a zip tie around her neck. She jumped from the car, but he caught her when she got to a fence. He killed her there and brought her body back to his car before driving to Parkway Drive, opening his trunk and taking 45 pictures of her body he then dismembered her first cutting off her nipples which he ate then he cut off both breasts and cutting out a tattoo from her right leg and removed her left arm at the elbow gillis disposed of her body but stomped on her back before he left her to be found by a passerby he then took the arm home and later used the hand attached to masturbate until completion. Let me read that again. 
He cut her arm off at the elbow, took the arm and hand home, and masturbated until completion, and that is in his confession. It was at the scene Gillis left tire tracks, which would eventually lead to his arrest, and that is key to this entire case. Upon a search of his home, detectives found 45 images of the actual murder. Tell you how stupid he is. Many of them showing his license plate in the background. So he posed her. They were t- He took pictures and his freaking license plate is right there. The Tying him right to the murder. I don't think he never thought he was going to get caught. But he's graduating to taking the images pictures and everything, I think he put it in front of his license plate on purpose. In his mind, he's like, ha-ha, bitches, not only can I do it, I can put a poser right in front of my license plate, and you can't fucking catch me. But go back to it. Cut her arm off so you can take her home and masturbate her with. That goes back to Johnny Mae Williams, where he cut both her hands off. I guarantee he did the same thing. Maybe he needed the arm to help him this time. I don't know. But wait, Back it up. He cut off her nipples and ate them. Ate them. Wrap your mind what around the that shit. fuck? This fucker sick. I just sick. spit. What the fuck? Ate her nipples and, and cuts off her breasts. I, 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 cutting off the tattoo, that's either to stop her from being identified, like the case I told you I worked earlier, or he's got that trophy and he wanted to keep it for a trophy and this just absolutely blows my mind um but you see how he's graduated in his sickness and and he's graduated as a serial killer i mean if, if there was a college for serial killers he just got his phd something we didn't tell you in between the previous two murders and this murder guess what Another serial killer was caught. Derek Todd Lee got caught before Gillis, which he took much pleasure in. When they eventually caught Gillis and they searched his house, they found newspaper clippings of Derek Todd Lee all over the place, just like you would see in a movie. He considered Derek Todd Lee, who was known as the Baton Rouge serial killer, he considered him competition. And he was smarter than Derek Todd Lee, and Derek Todd Lee got caught first. This is what the the way this sick individual was thinking. And probably where he fucked up was if had he stopped when Derek Todd Lee got caught, he probably yeah. never would have got caught. Ever. They would have assumed Derek Todd Lee Russia killed him. would have been off with Derek Todd Lee wasn't telling shit. When they got him, I know Derek Todd Lee's got way more bodies than He's a credit for, right? But he ain't saying dick about it. They got him on the DNA. And, and, yes. And, Which was uh, in its infancy to, to in Go that back time. to the newspaper articles, and he had, that's not only, I'm saying I'm smarter than you. He's looking at where he's dumped, Derek Todd's dumping the bodies. He dumped in the same places. Yes. After Derek Todd Lee did. Yes. Why? Because he, he wanted to blame it on somebody else. He had enough smarts to figure out. I can confuse the police by dumping the body at the same place, make it look like it's the same guy. Although him and Derek Todd Lee had totally different MOs. Well, and, and, I, I think that, that yes, that they had different MOs, but the thing about it is only reason he went back to prostitutes, two reasons he went back to prostitutes. 
three. One, he caught the he knew when he hit Harley Smith with the car and he got the public outcry. Well, you know what? Fuck you. You posed her under a dead end sign. That's you know, yeah. that took up, uh, up another notch also. Yes. But the he's so he's going back to prostitutes. Number two, why prostitutes? They're an easy victim for me. He knows he can get them in the car, right? They know they're getting in. They're thinking of getting in for money. High risk lifestyle didn't work out for him. He was a killer. He'll never stop killing until he's caught. That's it. And he would still be killing today. Score one for the amazing detective work here. Yep. Because this was good old-fashioned Woody Everton detective work. Yeah, I was a detective at this time. Naturally, you're going to um, where a body's at. You're going to rope it off. You're going to look for anything. Cigarette butts, um, bullet cases, knife, whatever. And, and, and the one thing they noticed is during the murder scene were tire tracks. Which you don't, uh, you would believe, wouldn't believe. That's very rare, actually, to get to find tire tracks of whatever that surface was, the dirt or whatever it was. Props to them, because you know what? I guarantee you, it wasn't the only set of tire tracks, unless it rained in, in a few days, or whatever. Somebody else had driven through there at some point. Some of them had been faded or whatever. Some the detective was like, mm, "Let's take a picture of these." Okay, shout out and, and a shout out to them. So the detectives then take the tire tracks. So they take in the back in my old day, we we'd get tire tracks and we'd do the plaster um, plaster of Paris impressions and all that shit. And then they can break it down. You send the FBI, FBI give back. I told in the first episode, they study the crimes, right, and and um, everything from what makes it happen to whatever. Tire tracks is a real deal. The um, but it's tire tracks are a class what they call class evidence. And it's not trace. Trace evidence is like DNA. Uh, class evidence is something that um, it could be like a carpet fiber, a certain certain type of carpet found in the scene or whatever. It's not like a body hair. It's it's something that could be generic, but can still you can tie it into this murder, hopefully. So they take it and they go to the engineers of the Goodyear Tire Company. So they were able to ascertain from the tire tracks it, it basically was a Goodyear tire, all right? And um, the police were able to identify the tire and had a list of everyone who had bought that tire in Baton Rouge, which it turns out it was a rare tire, and only 90 of them were sold in three years and throughout the Baton Rouge area. Key. Period. Key. That yeah. could have been a tire that no. 9 million That's people right, bought right, in right, Baton Rouge. Right. That's right. That's right. Do you know the luck yeah. involved yeah. that it yeah. was only yeah. 90 tires? That's nothing. I'd rather be lucky than good when it comes yes. to something like that. And then they were like, holy shit. But here's the deal. They still really don't know that this tire Really, was going to come back to Sean Vincent Gillis, right? They were just working. And guess what? They had Dick else to go on. He cut her shit up. And it, uh, I mean, the, the uh, so they're working it. You work. You got to work a lead to runs out. And say so working. Holy shit! We only got ninety sold in three years. Well, shit. We got receipts for that. Let's start hunting them down, right? Uh, so they then set out to contact all the people in the list in order to get a DNA sample, okay? Sean Vincent Gillis was number 26 on the list out of 30. 
Yes. And uh, oh, I love this part. Love this part because we're winning now. Yeah, right. We got his ass dead to rights. Right. And let me tell you, they, they had no idea when they went to Sean Gillis's house that day. He was the guy. That's right. It's a smart detective. This is just, this is what I love about detective work. The two detectives that were sent to his house. So they divvy up this list. Here, we've got it. We've got 12 detectives sitting here. Um, you take this. You take this. Hand them all like freaking 30 apiece or something. There's three of them. So they go out, and this is number 26, and they're like, here's going to be, you know, we're just going to get a swab. But they're paying attention. And one of the detectives said, when we pulled up to his house and we got out, I saw his car sitting there. And as I passed by his car, I just kind of looked in it, you know, smart, you know, you're just looking, and he sees bloodstains on the top ceiling part of the car. Didn't stick his head in, just kind of peeked by. So they go to the door. They knock on the door, and basically Gillis comes to the door, and they say, hey, we're here. I don't know if you've heard about all these killings that's been going on, but we have a lady that was killed. Your tires match the tire marks found at the scene. We don't think he did anything, but we really could use some DNA evidence. He, The detective said he was acting weird. Yeah. like Now, he was weird to begin with, right. right, before any killing got involved. But Woody, as a detective – a question I would ask you is sometimes do you come across those individuals and it's just like you just know, you, know, you have that feeling? So I had hundreds of thousands of hours of interview and interrogation. 98.5% of what I do for a living or what I did for a living is read people. And I guarantee you, this guy, this detective was a seasoned detective. And, and, and like 25 people they talked to ahead before that, they were probably, mm, nope, mm, nope. Sean Vincent Gillis, that demon inside of him, that detective would have read it on him. So what what do you have to do then? He's like, oh, they saw the blood, what appeared to be blood, and it, uh, and that's no violation of Sean Vincent Gillis because it's a no reasonable expectation of privacy if your windows aren't tinted or whatever. Um, so he's, that throws him and he meets him and he's like, oh, hey, but you're right. They would they would have played it off like, hey, you know what? Um, heard about all these killings going on where you're looking for a reaction then and he said he did or didn't whatever and you know what your tires just happened to match I ain't gonna tell them that only 90 of them sold in three years right but your tires just happened to match um, and then he gets the heebie-jeebies from him. he gets that feeling you then at that point in time as a detective you want to get them off their turf all right you will if they were willing to cooperate well you know what you mind coming down and talking to us uh, so we can clear you, right? Uh, you certainly you're not under arrest or anything. You don't have to come, but that's where the serial killer part comes in because he thinks I'm smarter yes! than this motherfucker. I'm smarter than exactly they are. What I, I got saying. all my shit in this house here. I got photographs. I got everything. I'll go down with them and I'll play their fucking ass and I'm going to find out what they know and and I'm going to play their ass and I'm going to you know, bow my way out Lightly, haha, jokes gonna be on these motherfuckers. But guess what? It wasn't. Yeah, so it, all serial killers have this in them, y'all. I said it earlier. They're arrogant. And he's gonna say, Oh, you want me to come down to the station with you? You ain't got nothing on me. And anyway, I can find out what you have on me or what you think you have. So he goes to the station 
and sits down with them and they tell him, you know, we, we got to get, this is the early stages of DNA. You know, right. it's a early, it's the early to mid two thousands. It's not progressed to where it is now. So when they give DNA evidence, there's two problems. Number one, it takes freaking forever to get it back. Oh even yeah. when you swab it, 30 days was like a minimum. So, back so, then. Well, it started in, in, in like first, like 91 and 92. First time was it uh, successfully used and it, it, it graduated. I mean, almost, what you could consider a light speed unless you're in law enforcement. They kept graduating in, in the early 2000s. I could have DNA on, on a little girl that was missing case and get an expedite letter. I could the fucking letter come from the governor. You take it to the crime lab and it's still going to take fucking 30, 60 days with an expedited letter. You don't have an expedited letter. Shit. It might be a year and a half before you get it back. And I've had that happen. Right. Yeah. So you, but you're right. Go ahead. So basically, he goes down to the station, sits down, and they they kind of man. This detective has this sense. He's like, I'm, this guy's not acting right. So back then, they didn't have necessarily portable DNA kits. No, so he had right. to go down to the station, right. kind of give his DNA, right. and they do like hair swab samples right. and yeah, swab your mouth, buccal swab and, in the mouth. Yeah, yeah, do all of that. And they're in the meantime, they're small talking. They're trying to. So the cop brings it up. The detective says, man, I walked past your car and there was some blood. What was that blood? And it looked like there was some blood on the ceiling. Now, this now we're going to dial you into how inexperienced Sean Vincent Gillis was with women and with social interaction in general. This was his excuse. My girlfriend menstruated. In the car. And when she menstruated, it shot on the ceiling. Looked him right in the face. And look, this cop, I watched an interview with him, this detective. And he said, this guy actually thought we were going to buy that. Like, he thought when a woman menstruated, it shoots like a volcano onto the ceiling. Because he said, not only uh, the ceiling, he said it shot everywhere, including the ceiling of the vehicle and the back seat. Like, holy shit. As if this was just a volcano. I mean, it's not even funny because it's a dead lady. But, right. the, uh, but I mean, like, yeah, it's like a, you know, you just turn on a fire hose of blood or menstruating. And what, I mean, what the hell? And, and that shit wasn't natural. And that was his excuse that he had built up in his head. But remember, he didn't have sex blood. with her, uh, his girlfriend. For ever. the 10 years yeah. he was with her. Yeah. So these detectives excuse themselves. They go outside and they say, this mother, <laughs> he did it. There's the lie. Yeah. He did it. So they go back in and they said, they asked him, did you know her? And he basically said, oh, yeah, I knew Don and Ben Johnson. And I've been to that place. Now uh, he's he's figuring out I've got to have an excuse right, for my right, tires being there. Right. So he says, oh, I knew her. She used to clean my house. And I've been to that place with her. So now they know we've right. got him dead to rights, right. but they have no proof. Right. So they do the DNA stuff. He He goes ahead and does it. And guess what they have to do? They have to release him. They have nothing to hold him. They can't hold him on just their feeling. Right. So the this is probable cause. Right? Yes. They had no probable cause. So this is what they do. They basically t- say, okay, thank you, Sean, for providing your DNA evidence. They go grab right. a cop right. outside and they say, stay on this son of a bitch. Right. Don't let him leave your sight. Absolutely. And, and they do that for um, public safety. I like to think they played it off well enough where Sean Vincent's thinking, mm, my menstruation geyser. Uh, I knew that's what worked. happened. And yeah. uh, I've been, uh, not only did I know her, but I've been there. Yeah. Uh, um, 
in so I would have played it like they did. Okay, you know, thank you very much, and uh, thank you for your DNA swab and drive-through, motherfucker. But guess what? You're right. Somebody's there have been multiple cops sitting on a bitch everywhere he went in case he went to kill another uh, person. But more importantly, I would have been getting search warrants for his fucking house regardless, waiting on the DNA to come back um, and, and getting the search warrant, putting the rush on the DA. Vincent Gillis went home. They rushed the DNA sample and awaited for the search warrant. And seven hours later, after that sample was put in front of all the others at the state police crime lab, they had a match. Seven hours later. Shout out to the state police crime lab on that one, baby. Yes. That's the fastest I've ever heard of one being done. Yes. I guarantee you they called and said, we got that yeah, sucker. Yeah, yeah. I don't care what you had to do. That's it. Make it happen. That's it. They did. Seven hours. Shout out state police crime lab. They had a match. And on April 29th, 2004, Gillis was arrested for murder after his DNA sample matched the DNA found on hairs of two of his victims. Even though he tried to wash and I mean, cut them up and do whatever, that's good police work. Shout out to those detectives that found Phenomenal that job. Found hairs. Phenomenal job. Interrogations that you can watch. Woody Everton, who who was an expert interrogator, has gotten people to admit to murders. One of the things they did, and I want to ask your thought on this tactic, the FBI actually interrogated him, one of the FBI detectives, and he asked Sean Vincent Gillis, um, you know, did he do it? And Sean Vincent Gillis at this time is admitting to everything, and he says, uh, you know, in this guy's mind, he's wanting to get more confessions. He knows he's killed more people. Right, right. So they've got all these dead bodies. They don't they right. they haven't tied to him. They only have been able to tie him to two victims. So he wants admittance to those murders. So one of the things he does that I found freaking interesting was he's playing into Sean Vincent Gillis's emotions and he says, Let me tell you something. I had no idea who you were. You you're might be oh yeah, you're the best I've ever seen. He tells him why that's the first time he's ever heard that in his life. And he gets off on it. And once you start wow. getting the juice from him and get that juice flowing, some people you got to be a little hard on. Some people you have to be submissive to some people. You got to give them all the props and moral. That's what worked for Sean Vincent Gillis. He finally wanted recognition. I'm the smartest motherfucker in the world. I've been doing it all these years. Nobody caught me. And, and let me tell you how I did it, baby. He starts spilling everything he actually told you know the detective said you had an interesting way in which you were killing these women with a zip tie and he says well let me demonstrate it for you and he's proud of this and he says you know how i do it and the and the detective says well show me yeah. and he said well okay pretend like this is a zip tie and he goes now watch this oh and he sh- and the detective's just sitting there looking right. at him, and the detective's acting like he's just enamored. Wow, wow. that was a great move, yes, Sean. Yeah, right. You know, and and Sean is smiling at right. this guy. He's eating this up. This here, this awesome FBI detective thinks right. that I'm right. great, right? And I've and of course, this guy is thinking you're a piece of shit. Oh, I absolutely, want to kill him. But yeah. the, the it's all about getting the juice that's going to hold up in court and. So he can never do it to anybody else again. But they played him like a little bitch. Played him like a bitch. Got confession city out of him. So, so let me touch on that real quick. Go ahead. The detective sat listening to Gillis proudly describe the grotesque details of each of the murders. At times, he laughed and joked. 
as he described how he had cut off the arm of one victim, consumed the flesh of another, raped the corpses of others, and masturbated with their severed parts of his victims. After Gillis was arrested, a search of his home turned up 45 digital images on his computer of the mutilated body of Donna Johnston. During the time that Gillis remained in jail waiting his trial, he exchanged letters with Tammy Prepara, a friend of, vic- of victim Donna Johnston. These letters became key in the prosecution of Gillis. Huge, huge Tell us about it. point. Okay, so uh, Tammy Prepara was also a prostitute. She was best friends with Donna Bennett Johnston. She began pimpalling with Gillis when he was still in jail. Smart woman. She wanted to get evidence to give this prosecution that he's admitting to that murder because they didn't have a tie into that other than the tire marks. So she goes and she starts pimpalling and he's admitting to it in the letters. He exactly said this. She didn't suffer. She was drunk, so it was easy. I put the zip tie around her, and she was asleep in a minute and a half. It took longer than normal, but she finally died. He's minimized. He was that specific. Yeah, Yeah, and and said he felt bad for it. But Tammy Papura took this evidence. She gave it to the prosecution, and she said, here he is, admitting to it in his own handwriting. Mm -hmm. And uh, and so, of course, they used that, and that was key in his prosecution. The police had one mistake that they did during this whole thing. A couple of times during his interrogation, he requested a lawyer, and um, they didn't hear it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and look, I don't know that I would hear it, um, but yeah. they didn't hear it, and it presented a problem in the trial because these were recorded and taped right. and and they didn't immediately stop. Now, Woody, I want you to take this again and and you in real life real crime, uh you have harped on the importance of you know, you always read the rights. Right. And if someone's had a lawyered up, you stopped. That's it. Well, why why is that so important? If I had them to the point where I was reading the rights, I probably had probable cause. Uh, um, but if, if if specifically if I was beyond that, or even if I wasn't beyond that, if they lower it up, I know the shit's getting thrown out. Any, it's called the fruit of the poisonous tree. Anything that admission they make or question you ask them after that, uh, any admission they make, it's it's bad. So anything after they ask for a lawyer. Anything they give is called fruit of the poisonous tree. You can't eat from it because it's a bad seed. Yeah. Uh, uh, and so, mm, I mean, I could tell you a couple of times maybe that uh, they lower it up and I didn't ask him more questions. I might have said a few more choice words or whatever, <laughs> uh, uh, but I didn't ask me questions and, right. uh, um, and I wasn't trying to hear what they said. But yeah, that presents a problem. I still think they did an excellent job. They, oh, it's unbelievable! And so. and look, they caught him. They got him off the street, uh, and that was their job. And they did that to perfection, or he'd still be killing. It's absolutely. So the, let's get let's get into the trial and the sentencing. And Jim, you and I'll share this. Okay. At the trial, Gillis's living girlfriend says she still loves him. Match made in hell. <laughs> 
She still lives in the house he dismembered people in and still has the damn car he rode the bodies around in. It absolutely sickens me that Gillis got life in prison. It may shock y'all to know he's at Angola, but he's not on death row. Exactly. He will never be executed if Anyone in the history of executions deserved it. It's this guy. He killed eight people, and he got life in prison without an execution. So why? You may ask why. Well, our system, the state, did seek the death penalty. However, after a trial of more than a week, the jury could not agree. They were essentially deadlocked. A death penalty verdict must be unanimous. So they weren't deadlocked on that he was guilty. Right. He's guilty as fuck. So in Louisiana, you would have had the separate trial or not trial, separate hearing for, okay, so jury hears all the facts. They find him guilty. Then you have the death penalty phase, which is where the um, defense is going to get up and say, oh, his daddy was an alcoholic and our psychological profile says he's messed up, whatever. They can try to do to get even one jury member to feel sorry for this fuck stick. And at the same time, the prosecution gets up and puts on why it's aggravated circumstances and he deserves the death penalty, which would have been multiple murders and the brutality of the murders and the eating nipples and, and everything else. But some bleeding hard liberal on, on the jury fucking couldn't get there. The prosecutor in this case, pretty well-known prosecutor in Baton Rouge named Prim Burns. She's awesome. She's a, she's a real pit bull. Uh, totally. I have mad respect for her. So she said she believed that had the videotape confession of Gillis been allowed to play during the trial, a death penalty verdict would have been assured. So why did they not play it? Well, as Woody says, uh, once a suspect requests a lawyer, you stop with the questions during the videotape confession. Gillis asked twice for a lawyer and the detectives just continue to question. So the videotape was ruled inadmissible fruit of the poisonous tree. Yes. Can't use it. Yes. Now, The prosecutor could have tried him for other murders, but did not, saying this was the best case they had. So in Angola, Gillis sits life in prison with no parole. He's 60 now to a cost of the taxpayer, assuming he lives to the age of 74 to 76, about a half a million dollars since his incarceration, which to me is absolutely sickening that we're paying for this guy to sit in Angola for the rest of his life after he killed eight people. Not much is known about his life in Angola. He's in general population. I cannot imagine. I would think he is in some high profile area. More details. So I got the details on that. Uh, lifer, um, we'll see who, and I have a lot of lifers who are huge fans of Bloody Angola. And I actually asked, and I can't believe I didn't tell you this. For, no, this is breaking news, and I'm ready you for it. I'm as, I'm as ready as everybody he, else. He is in what they call CCR, Closed Cell Restriction Unit. He's in a cell by himself, and they the classification is for his own safety because they're going to fucking kill him. Even murderers and robbers and shit hate men that rape. Of course, chomos, child molesters are the worst, right? But if you rape and murder a woman, and now there's a lot of them in Angola, probably 2,000 that have done that, but they're the lowest of the low. And being a high-profile inmate like him, 
um, doing first degree murder. That's what they tried him for. That's the only way you can uh, try for the death penalty. And he got found guilty of first degree murder, but the two outcomes are life without or the death penalty. He beat the death penalty. Um, somebody wants to stick a shank in that motherfucker. Somebody from Scotlandville or Gardeer, I'm talking about the areas, the, these, somebody knew these women. Uh, um, unfortunately, they were prostitutes. Somebody's got a family member up there of them, and they can't wait to stick a shank in his ass. There you go. So he's in CCR, which basically, if the Camp J was still open, he'd have been in Camp J, not because of what he did in the prison, but because that's the only place they can keep him alive. And remember, it's the state's job to make sure he carries out his sentence and why he doesn't harm the public. So he's in basically the whole uh, admin say, whatever you want to call it, he's in protective custody. Uh, you know what? He's in that little five-by-seven cell. I would like to thank um, some of the convicts, not inmates at Angola. Actually, I pretty much know because they smuggle in cell phones and shit now. Y'all listen to this. Sean Vincent Gillis, eight nipples. Uh, I doubt they're chasing powers. <laughs> but, but maybe one of you chasing members will work there. Yeah. Don't let that bitch fool you. He's a monster. He's a monster of all monster. And he's in bloody Angola. And I, I shouldn't say this, but I'm going to say it anyway. I, I hope they fucking kill his ass. Yeah. There are people on this earth that don't deserve to be wrong. Right. He doesn't deserve to breathe. We hope you enjoyed this. This is a part of our new series that is only for Chase Team members called the Behind Bar series. And the reason we call it that is even though it's not, it may not have a whole lot to do with their life now that they're in Angola, they're behind bars in Angola. And we're going to be bringing you some of those yeah. just for you, uh, Chase Team members. Yeah, and you, I've gotten so many requests for the Sean Vincent Gillis story over the years. I hadn't touched it, right? And I'm glad I didn't because we covered Chase Team members. Um, and you did a hell of a job on everything. But part of what we'll be locking up for Chase Team, you know, maybe – once every couple months or whatever, we're going to pick some one of these famous or infamous assholes and tell you their story and how they got inside Bloody Angola. That's right. How they got behind the wire and how they're going to die behind the wire. Yeah. Because of the ones we can tell you, I can promise you, they're not, they're not getting parole. <laughs> no, so, they're not. Thanks so much for listening. Thank you. We hope you enjoy these these two episodes and I hope you understand now why we had to bust it up. Yeah. And, uh, I'm Woody Overton. I'm Jim Chapman. The host of bloody Angola a prison podcast, 145 years in the making the story of America's bloodiest prison. Peace. Peace. <laughs> BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Maryland. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code OLDLINE150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Maryland today. Today. 
and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Maryland only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. From issuance, please play responsibly. For help, visit mdgamblinghelp.org or call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM National Harbor. Promotional not available in Washington, D.C.